Beyond and hello and welcome once again to IGN's PlayStation Show. I'm your host, Max Scoville, and according to my notes, it is episode 786, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Jada Griffin. Hello, everybody. And far away in a distant land known as the computer, Brian Altano. What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing beyond? We're doing all right. We got some... Uh... We got some fun stuff to talk about, but there's also some sort of some down news. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about sort of what we think the future of the Uncharted franchise could be. Everyone's been talking Last of Us uh, because of the big HBO show, you know, and Neil Druckmann's doing some interviews. And there's some interesting sound bites about what Nathan Drake or, I don't know, that whole universe could be doing in the future. Uh, we also got some poll results about what other adaptations besides HBO's Last of Us people are looking forward to. And we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, something we don't usually talk about, which is a game that came out on other platforms uh specifically hi-fi rush dropped on uh you know game pass and uh you know people are kind of comparing it to sport for spoken for a variety of reasons but before we get to all that let's talk about the bad news let's get that out of the way first uh so e3 is happening this year we know that that's a real thing that's very exciting mm -hmm. it's going to be a fan-facing event we're going to go to it what's going to be there that's a great question because uh it was announced that sony xbox and nintendo are all skipping e3 meaning that they will not be there on the show floor uh i feel like this is not a huge surprise because this was kind of the case you know pre pre-covid pre e3 retooling itself but um yeah i mean i think it's to be expected that xbox and nintendo are going to do some kind of you know direct slash showcase type thing because they've been pretty consistent about that but sony has been kind of like i don't know we get like we get like summer state of plays that are kind of i feel like they're usually either way before or after e3 time yep. yeah so, i think yeah. like july i think was like was one of them last year i think there was one mm -hmm. in july yeah so there wasn't there isn't really like a consistent cadence with them or any of the publishers and that's i think why people liked e3 mm -hmm. was that it was it was it was that sort of christmas holiday celebration time where you're like we're gonna get condensed video game news in a week but i think a lot of publishers realized a it's incredibly expensive to actually be there on the show floor B, uh, some of us just don't have stuff ready in time for that. Like Nintendo this year, their big game comes out uh, two weeks before E3. So like, why even bother? Um, but C, like they are also like, we can control the conversation ourselves by waking up on a Tuesday morning in mid-August and just dropping a state of play and, and owning everything. But like, I don't know, Max, I think you nailed it. Like this is one of those things. It's like, it's not surprising, but it sucks. You know, like yeah. it's like when a book a bookstore goes out of business. You're mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, I get it. But I wish it didn't, you know, because I like those things. Um, this one's interesting specifically because this was Reed Pop, who owns Comic-Con, was like, guys, we're bringing back E3. We're making it a fan-focused thing. We're going to turn it into a thing that, like, now E3 had attempted, like, the fan-focused thing before, which was basically selling tickets to people so they could stand behind, you know, schlubby video game journalists and wait they, to play demos. They made that a fan event the way driving your car into a lake makes it a boat. <laughs> yeah. They just started yeah. selling tickets and people started showing up. And that's, you know, nothing against fans showing up. That yeah. was that or was... driving into a lake, you know, people that's nothing yeah. against that. I mean, no, if, if, that's if you want to do that, if go for it. Yeah. yeah. If you got one of those cars that has the, the big snorkel thing, I don't know what that yep. does. I think it looks cool on Range Rovers. Anyway, uh, but no, they pretty much were just like, hey, we're selling consumer tickets. Come on in. And they didn't really, I feel like, prep any of the, you know, exhibitors and they yeah. didn't really do anything to make it fun for the fans. And so yep. it was just this kind of like worst of all worlds for everybody except for I don't know whoever got to 
t- get the ticket money. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, because it just it just crowded the the convention center more than it needed to be. There was ton. There was not enough security, so they, there was lots of things that were stolen, lots of things that got broken. Like it just kind of made the experience kind of worse for everybody. Yeah, and um, I mean that was all us though. That was like I saw that as an opportunity. I to was start ro- robbing booths. Oh, I was I mean, mad because I, I got so many T-shirts. Like if anybody yeah. needs a Persona Five Royale T-shirt. There was too much competition for the stealing and the looting. We love to do it in there. It's what, you know, we keeps us keeps us honest the rest of the year. Uh, but no, I think that as far as the fan-facing side of things, I think E3 is going to be way better because Reed Pop does have a lot of experience. Mm. Like they um, they do what? New York Comic Con, they do I think a bunch of the Paxes. I think they're sort of involved in yeah. corralling that. Star Wars Celebration. Star, well, Star Wars right? Celebration is a big one too. Mm-hmm. And it's like those are all extremely fun events. Like they're very much like they're not they're not trade shows, they're conventions. And that's a key key difference and e3 has always been a trade show it's always been an industry event and i think that's a lot of the appeal uh you know anybody can go to a candy store but getting a tour of the mysterious chocolate factory is you know that's what there's a a book and a bunch of movies about you know like that's that's the fun doesn't, insider doesn't go thing. well for the fans in that situation no exactly and it's also like i don't know you go to a real chocolate factory it's probably not that exciting it's you know mm-hmm. other than the free candy you get while you're there yeah i don't even yeah. know if they do that do they do that anymore anyway we're getting uh in the in the weeds here i guess but uh yeah, I, I've, I've said this a bunch of times before. I think we've all kind of talked about it a bit, probably during the especially, you know, frequent slow news months we get. But I wish that Sony would be consistent with states of play. I mean, I really wish that all of the, the big companies would just, you know, develop a cadence, like make people expect something every. I mean, I feel like Nintendo has been pretty good about this with directs. Yeah. You know, like there's, we'll be like, oh, like it's it's about what every three months you get like kind of a quarterly mm-hmm. update. Sometimes it's a really big, huge summer mm-hmm. one. Uh, Sometimes it's the Nindy showcase yeah. with all their indie titles. Yeah, um, yeah they. I think Nintendo's definitely been the most consistent, and their fans have, you know, kind of been trained to like when to know. There's, there's so many times they're like, hey, there was a direct, you know, four months ago, so we should be expecting one right around this time. And sure enough, usually, yeah, like a week later it gets announced. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, um, and Sony's attempted this too, right? It's, it's sort of like an accordion format where basically it can be small for Nindies, it can be big for like a AAA state of play with a bunch of third parties. Like, keep in mind, Resident Evil 4 Remake was announced in a state of play, right? And like yep. that's a, about as big as third party games get. I think what bums me out about the Comic Con thing is that like the Read Pop version or the E3 thing is that the Read Pop version of this thing could have been theoretically like a video game Comic Con or like a PAX on steroids. And I think like the audience's like consumers deserve that. Like they deserve like a big thing that isn't just guys in business suits wheeling and dealing behind the scenes and, you know, hanging out in cafes trying to sign uh, AAA video games, but it's more just like get people together in big places to celebrate video games. Now, obviously like we've had a couple of things pop over the, over the last few years that have made that sort of like a health concern uh, for sure, but also a bunch of conventions went off kind of without a hitch last year and uh, E3 didn't. And so this was supposed to be their big relaunch, their big return to form, but also like morphed into the, something that's bigger and, and better for the fans. And it still can be that. Like, we don't know, you know, there's there's more to just video games than the big three, right? But I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I feel like we're going to see th- these three pull out and then, you know, U- Ubisoft, EA, Activision, and every other big company is going to have some excuse to not be there. And then like, you're, you're sort of like, what is, what is this show? You know? Yeah. I mean, if you, Um, it's the whole, like, if you build it, they will come. Like we saw big companies making booths at PAX because they're like, oh, fans are going to this. We should have a presence there. But if you change what the thing is, people might also leave. 
You know, like yeah. I think I think taking E3, which was typically this more sort of insular, like controlled environment, and suddenly being like everybody can come on in, and it's like that. You know, that that sounds fun, but it's you know, it's mm -hmm. that it's they're not properly retooling it. So I don't know. Anyway, we're getting we're getting in the weeds here. We're obviously gonna have plenty more to talk about about what E3 is and when it's happening, which is June. But you know, we'll get around to that. Uh, in other Sort of downer news department. There was a story flying around that has since been basically debunked. I want to just put that right out front. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a story reporting that the Sony VR... Well, I messed that up. The Sony PlayStation VR 2 headset pre-order have, have been... They've been a disappointment, which means that production has been cut basically in half. And, and it was just a Bloomberg report, I think, uh, translating a Japanese article... Uh, saying that Sony basically halved its forecast shipments, basically cutting it from two to one million units, which is a, a pretty substantial, you know, chunk of VR headsets. You know, mm -hmm. like that we, we heard that they were really, you know, really gearing up, really going to, you know, meet demand because there was the whole supply shortage for PS5, and they weren't going to have that happen with uh, with PSVR 2. But then allegedly, you know, the, the one key difference is that people really, really wanted a PSVR or a PS5, whereas that that might not be the case with PSVR 2. Uh, but Apparently that's it's all it's all baloney and Sony categorically denied all this. They said it's not true. That's they're not cha changing orders or pre-orders or whatever. But it's mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a weird it's a weird kind of blip to yeah. pop up. Um, Brian, I think yeah. Morning, yeah. Brian, I think you kind of said it best about just kind of like it's good that this is getting um, quashed so quick. Um, I was yeah. sorry, I was setting you up. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, you did great. Um, no, it, it is it is good because it like this, you know. I think that this report, um, it was one of those things we all read and we were like, that makes sense because kind of where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Or I guess the lack of, lack of in this situation. We've talked about PSVR on the show before, and I think we were kind of dogged by the comments a little bit for not being like fully optimistic and fully positive about it. And uh, I implore people to uh, check out. The official PlayStation blog, if that's what they want. Um, this is not a, a, a you know a financial mm -hmm. extension of of Sony's PR. This is a enthusiast podcast where people are going to talk about like what they're excited about, what they're apprehensive about, what they're negative about, mm -hmm. all those things. Um, but this story coming out uh, was not is not good news for anybody who is excited about PSVR. Um, and of course, no one ever sees the follow-up. They just see the initial story, right? Which is why it's important to get reporting right the first time around. And so I think a lot of people would see the story and be like, well, I'm gonna cancel my pre-order because without that enthusiasm behind launch numbers, that's gonna send a message to publishers and software developers to not create experiences for this platform, which is going to devalue my headset in the long run. So I'm gonna take a wait and see approach. But it does beg the question, three weeks away from launch, where is the marketing for this device? Where are the advertisements for this device? When is Sony going to open up this device to retailers outside of PlayStation Direct? Currently, the only way to buy this thing is through them. And video games historically have been, especially hardware, have been things that you trade in old hardware to buy. Mm -hmm. I have like almost always, especially when I find out like there's, there's a reason to do that, like the PS4 to PS5 was a no brainer, traded in my last hardware for the new hardware and it helps offset the cost, which uh, is something you probably need to do when your new hardware is $550 and requires an additional 500 plus dollar purchase. Um, and so I think that like this, this is like, I'm glad that this, this was debunked, but also it does open up some questions like, and we've asked these before and I will ask them again, which first party Sony studios are working on software for this thing? When are we gonna get start, uh, state of plays and advertising for this, for, this, for this platform? And what does the future look like? 
you know? And on top of that, like when can somebody walk into Best Buy and buy one or Target or trade in some stuff on Amazon and pick it up? Like that's mm -hmm. GameStop, right? These are yeah. major retailers and th th that's how people offset the cost of these things. And they currently don't have the, the ability to do that because Sony, uh, in, in, a, in a good way, kind of over course corrected the, 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 the kind of, you know, the, the problem that we had with PS5, where scalpers were buying every single unit and making it impossible for the common person to actually get one. Sony said, screw those guys. We're going to sell these things directly. It's we're going to limit like one or two per, ha per household. We need your home address and your social security number and your eye size and all that stuff. It's possible also, your blood type, yeah, blood type yeah. which is also important. Oh yeah, too far, too far. Um, and what they did was a good thing because they want to make sure that like people, the only way to get a PSVR isn't by buying it from some dirty scalper, right? And I'm going to call him dirty because I assume he is. And I I'm feel like they him use all kinds of exotic soaps and lotions. You know, <laughs> they, I feel they, like also they probably, scalped. They probably yeah, they, 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 yeah. that they stole fell off the back of a bath and body truck. Why do we go there? Yeah, they get all the seasonal Yankee candles before anybody does. They house smells up, great, you know? like cinnamon and coconut. It's a donut yeah. go to scalper's house. They got I know. Lush I know. They got air fresheners in the car yeah. from when they go to the UPS store. Mood lighting, scalp. courtesy of Phillips Hue. Anyway, sorry. Why are we doing <laughs> anyway, this? Anyway, yeah. So uh, I like. I feel like they they course corrected in in a kind of overly big way there, and they need to be able to release this thing to the general public. And they need they need people to be able to be able to buy this thing uh, without going directly through them. Now so. I want to I want to stop you right there. Just we Go we had it. to do this before. It is presently at this very exact moment, Tuesday, January thirty first, eleven thirty three a.m. <laughs> Pacific time. It is entirely possible that in like seventeen minutes, Sony puts up a blog post that's like, "Great news, everybody! We're having a big old state of play, announcing the future of the roadmap of the PlayStation VR 2. That and kind of be, thing and does you'll be able happen. Pre-ordered at your favorite retailer. Exactly. Head on down to Best <laughs> Buy. They're available today. Uh, yeah. No. The last time we talked about this, it didn't have Beat Saber. It didn't have. Uh, you know, it did. The Gran Turismo support wasn't added. Um, all they those literally they revealed. dropped the, the entire launch lineup the day after we talked about how they hadn't shown off the entire launch lineup. So yeah. we, we're yeah. kind of we're kind of cursed on this show in that sense. But I just mm -hmm. want to put that out there right now. There was a point in the run of show I think last week where it just said hold for PlayStation VR thing on Monday question mark because we'd I don't know heard murmurs that There's, would be the case. We, we had a we had like a, a a small showcase live stream yesterday where they showed off some of the games and stuff. They showed off like Madison and VR. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Like, okay. So we got that. There was so a, there was a, there was a, there was there's some decent yeah. stuff in there but there wasn't there still wasn't anything in that showcase that i watched i was like oh that's a system seller for me that's that's psvr2 i need to have it for that right so. yeah i mean it's not the time to be doing like a small scale thing that it's easy to kind of blow past like you know you can drop a few trailers that's good but like i i really think we need some kind of a okay here's like here's your onboarding package here's what here's what this thing does here's why you should you know give a hoot here's that yep. same b-roll we've been showing of Bo playing this thing at sony's house for the last year yep for well, those of you watching at home anyway so i mean like I'll, I'll say right now to be optimistic and positive this thing has a like pretty much the greatest hits of vr games are coming to this yeah. platform at or around launch and so like these are things that if you've skipped them before um this is going to be the place to play them if you own them already i feel like this is still going to be the place to play them like there's there's rumors that like half-life alex is coming like I, that's, you know, about as AAA VR as it gets, but what I think this platform needs and Horizon could be it, we don't know yet, um, is its own Half-Life Alex, right? It needs its own sort of killer app. It needs its thing that's just like, this is the AAA exclusive big game that you can only play here that justifies the existence of this platform. And I, 
I think it will get that. I think someone will develop that. But right now, um, Gran Turismo is a game that exists already. It's getting VR support. That's awesome. Resident Evil 8 is a game that exists already. It's getting VR support. That's awesome. And uh, Horizon's a spinoff of like a of a of a bigger open world franchise. And we don't really know if any of those games are going to be the thing that are like that's the system seller. That's what you have to get. But I would love to see that get revealed. I'd love to see them be like, these are our first party studios working on this platform. This is what they're making. And this is the experience that defines PSVR too. Mm -hmm. Because when this, when, when they started developing this, uh, presumably years ago, it was pre pandemic. It was pre financial apocalypse where egg, eggs are $40, you know, all, all the other, all, like it's, it's, it's hard out there right now. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are making very different financial decisions than they would have a few years ago. Had this dropped in 2021 when we were all locked inside and we're oh, like, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm watching like 4k walkthrough videos of Tokyo just to remember what it was like to go somewhere. Yep. Like, dude, I would have been all over this thing, but right now I'm kind of like, Oh man, I, I could go on a real vacation for that kind of money. So let's yeah. let's wait and see. Yeah. Also, I mean, again, we read the comments. We don't want to come across overly negative about this. We're yeah. voicing our our own concerns about this. Honestly, I don't want to seem like we're you know not fans of VR. We we are. We were. It's. I think it's more the fact that like again, and we've talked about this extensively. Like it's it's a different it's a different experience. It's not just like playing a regular game. Mm -hmm. And again, five hundred fifty bucks is a lot of money. Uh, so I don't know. It, it, I think it's it's fair to have some hesitation. It's also Sony isn't you know drowning us out with like a huge blast of marketing that makes it easy to sort of sideline those concerns and be like, whoa, look at that thing. It's kind of it yeah. feels weirdly quiet. So I mean, I just recently mm -hmm. re moved and reset up my old VR set setup, and I have a bunch of the games that I want to play already. And it's like it's like, what do I need to spend mm -hmm. six hundred like spending six hundred dollars for another headset to play ten different games? kind of hard sell right now well so, i mean of that but I'm ex i am excited for a lot of the lineup you know as brian was pointing out there's there is some good stuff coming there is a good um amount of games that are getting added vr support that are going to be really cool and it's going to be better than the experience i currently have so i am i'm excited for that i just for me i just want a little bit more sure yeah, I mean, of the, that launch lineup, there's a lot of it's a lot of the same problem we have with what constitutes a PS5 game because of the mm. backwards compatibility. In this case, it's not backwards compatible, but a lot of games have been getting they've been getting like a PS5, uh, PSVR2 upgrade from. Mm -hmm. But they're also, or you know, a lot of these games are also coming out for PSVR1, or they already came out for other platforms and now they're coming out to PS. So it's like, what constitutes a new PSVR2 game? Yeah, like there's right. not a lot of there's a, there's a handful of like this is a new new thing. And there's, again, there's a well, bunch in there that are like, this is a, an existing game or a familiar game that has gotten a, a major massive overhaul, but it's kind of hard to actually like gauge that or, mm -hmm. you know, really quantify which of these is worth getting excited about, and which of these is like, you know, something we've sort of already seen before or exactly already seen before. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're, they're basically funneled into like two uh, distinct damned if you do, damned if you don't scenarios right now. And one is with um, software. And that's, you know, we haven't really seen a ton of, uh support from their internal first party studios here but also like those studios are all cooking up ps5 games right now of which yep. we only really have a handful of that are like exclusive and define what that platform is and ps5 is becoming easier and easier to get people are finally at the situation where they can walk into a store and, and get one and that means good things for psvr too eventually right because like yep. rising tides and all that but also like if we are you know just starting to get into what PS5 software is and what that library is that defines this platform. How many of those studios do you want kind of detracted from that to be working on PSVR stuff? Because you're going to get some audiences being like, that's awesome. They're showing support for PSVR, but then you're going to have some core PS5 players who are like, that's taking away valuable resources from PS5 games that I can be playing right now.
And so like, that's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. The other is with uh, PC connectivity, right? I think that like had Sony announced yesterday or tomorrow, um, you can use PSVR 2 with PC, you're good to go, rock and roll, have a great time out there. They would reach a market, they would reach a demographic, they would reach an audience that they haven't touched yet for people who like really want high-end PC VR, but don't want to spend, you know, twice as much money or get the, you know, the Quest Pro or whatever, or put cameras mm -hmm. all over their apartment, all that fun stuff. But, you know, room scale VR has been a thing on PC for years and it's, it's, it's cumbersome. Um, but also by bringing that audience in, that audience will no longer purchase games directly through the PlayStation Store, which is where they make their money. And so you're selling a headset, which historically like, Sony loses money on hardware. Everybody loses money on hardware. They make it up on software and controllers and accessories and stuff like that. But the whole thing to get hardware cheap is to get you in the door to buy a bunch of games. And if you sell uh, PSVR to PC gamers and they just use it to hook up to their PCs and just play stuff through Steam, yeah. Sony doesn't make any money off that. They actually lose money off that. So that's the other damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. And so like, it does, it is kind of a rock and a hard place, right? And I, I hope there's a solution there. I think that they'll find their push and pull. I think that the more games they get out for this thing and the more PS5s they get out in the world, the more people they'll get behind this. I don't think it, they're just gonna abandon support after a year, but I, I do understand why a lot of PS5 or PlayStation fans in general are kind of on a, a apprehensive wait and see approach, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wanna, I don't want to be too negative about this. I want to, I want to yeah. say I am actually really excited to try this friggin' thing. It's kind of a bummer that we haven't had a chance to do that. And I mean, there haven't been a ton of huge events. We haven't been doing a lot of trade shows and stuff where you put things on your face aside from disposable masks. Um, but yeah, eventually we are going to have one in, in the office probably kicking yeah. around. And I'm like, I'm stoked to try that. That's going to be really cool. So um, yeah, again, you know, I'm happy for everybody who's, who's pre-ordered one, who's looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to see what Sony does with it. I just wish that they were more transparent and more a little bit banging that drum a little bit louder. You know, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, All we right. had multiple IGN employees who tried it and they enjoyed it and they have nothing but good things to say. So I'm, I'm down to play it. Yeah. Yep. IGN's Bo Moore played it in Sony's office. We have footage of it. Let's, do we have that footage ready, Red? I think we should show it once more. We've seen this footage before. <laughs> this video of him. Just... Bailey at TGS played it. Yeah. You know, it's out there. It exists. Yeah. yeah. I like the way the, the footage of just Dan Stapleton playing the first one from like nine years ago just rolled in there. Anyway, uh, there it is. There There's it is. that. There he is. There yeah. it is. There is Bo, and he's wearing the shirt. And he's in front of it's those curtains, shirt. and he's yeah. playing that game. Anyway, if you're listening to the audio, I'm sorry. They were like, <laughs> make a video show. We're like, but people listen on their headphones. And we're like, they're like, we don't care. Put in videos. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Shifting gears, everyone's talking about HBO's The Last of Us right now. It is a killer show. It is phenomenal. And we've got, you know, Neil Druckmann making the rounds, doing all sorts of interviews. And, of course, people are asking him little tidbits about, you know, video games because that's historically been his wheelhouse. Um, Uncharted has come up, unsurprisingly. That is, a you know, that is something Naughty Dog is very, very well known for. They have way more Uncharted games under their belt than Last of Us games, and people love those games. We just got an Uncharted movie. Uncharted is a, um, you know, despite the title, kind of a known quantity, and, you know, it's a, a proven thing. So presumably we'll see more of it, but Naughty Dog is apparently done with Uncharted for the... Foreseeable for the, future. For the, for, the, for the official future as of right now. Yeah. Which is kind of understandable you know because it's mm -hmm. they they started to go sort of a darker direction their games got more mature we got you know we got the last of us we got the last of us part two even you know even a thief's end was was much more sort of nuanced and more mm -hmm. like a more of a character study of of nathan drake than your your typical kind of you know gung-ho swinging in guns blazing etc um yeah i figured we could talk a little bit about sort of what do we what do we want from uncharted because yeah. 
it, as franchises go, I think it is an incredibly flexible one because, mm-hmm. again, it's in the name. Uncharted could mean anything. You can go anywhere mm-hmm. with that. It's the same. Even space. Yeah, it's Uncharted. They haven't, as long as it's not a game about cha- uh, about charts, I don't know, like a hall of charts, the going places to have just... Just give me a puzzle-solving game with just charts. That's No, I don't want that. I want to shoot people in places <laughs> I mean, that haven't it, explored. It, 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 even if it's a hall of charts that nobody's been to, then that's on an uncharted hall of charts, right? Try, yeah, so, yeah, sure. Why not? We're getting we're we're. Uh, why don't, uh, I don't so, want people to listen to the show anyway? Uh, <laughs> this is your fault. Yeah, I did this. Um, yeah, I mean, another one is like Far Cry. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, Tomb Raider, same deal. It's like an ambiguous enough name. It's not like I don't know Harry Potter, where they have to like retool the entire title to make it not just focused on one person. Indiana Jones has to be about Indiana Jones. That's a tricky one where it's like, how do you, you know, mm-hmm. shift that universe, you know? Uh, but Uncharted, nice and vague, which means yep. you can make it about all sorts of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the conversation, you know, I was like, do we want more Nathan Drake? Because he got a, you know, pretty good, pretty good farewell. Uh, there's actually a, a poll we put up um, asking readers, should the next Uncharted or should the Uncharted series end for good? And 37% of the people kind of share our, our sentiment and said they should keep the series going with a new protagonist. 24% said, yes, it should end. It had a full story and a proper ending. Bon voyage, Nate. And then 21% said, no, there's still more Nathan Drake stories to tell. And then 17% said, if Naughty Dog isn't developing it, I don't need a new one. Which, oh, you know, so I, yeah, there's a lot of sort of cr- crisscross going on there. Um, mm-hmm. First things first, what, what Sony studio should tackle Uncharted? Uh, you know, so I threw this one out pretty early, uh, and I think I'm gonna stick with it. I, I think Housemark would do a really fun job with Uncharted. It's already been a bit of a, you know, kind of arcadey runaround action uh, game. So, and I feel like they did such an amazing job with Returnal that mm-hmm. they could really kind of translate a lot of lessons they learned from that. I, I'm not, I'm not thinking that we get a, a roguelike experience for the next Uncharted, but I think just their their attention to detail, their the way they they built the mechanics on the their gunplay and traversal in Returnal. Um, I think they I think there's they've got a nice little kind of uh, bed to kind of build bed and foundation to build a new Uncharted game off of. Um, and I think I think it could be a a, a cool experiment in Uncharted. Um, you know, interesting. Then, yeah, there's definitely you know, like. A, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I was gonna say my gut reaction to that was like, "What are you talking about?" But then you sold me on it. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually keen on that because I think that like they at the very least would handle like the arcade shooting gameplay really well, which to me was always like one of the weaker parts of Uncharted. That was, you know, was always kind of there, but like it didn't necessarily feel like that was like a, a core mechanic that I really cared about. <laughs> Sorry, um, that gameplay just jumped. I know the, the gameplay death. where the character just died. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a fall, a high drop. It's just like this is out of bounds. I'm sorry, Brian. Continue. No, no, no. My, uh, my, my kind of like immediate thought was uh, either Sony Ben because they've already made an mm. Uncharted game. They made uh, Golden Abyss, which launched with the Vita, or uh, Gorilla. And I know like Gorilla ha- is heads down on uh, you know the Horizon franchise for the foreseeable future. There was leaks the other day of like a multiplayer mode they're working on. But I would love, and this is incredibly ambitious and asking for a lot, but I would love an open world Uncharted game. That was less about gunplay and more about like traversal, climbing, going to distinct environments and areas, puzzle solving, and like basically being like, there's a giant mountain there, and at the top of it is an artifact, and I'm gonna go to that point of the map and I'm gonna conquer it. Like I think that the Horizon games already do that really well, um, 
and they're less they're less about like running around you know shooting people with guns although there's obviously a you know a, a huge emphasis on combat in those games um but it'd be really cool to see something where it's just like you get in a vehicle you drive across the map you climb to the top of a mountain and you go down into a cave you get a treasure you fight a bunch of bad guys maybe there's a demon there you know some supernatural ghoul of sorts and then you kind of get out and you go somewhere else how do you, you know, feel about uncharted for how do you feel about survival mechanics added into that toward like dealing with hunger and heat and cold and that type of stuff with exploring I, that? I love it. Like make it optional, but I love it. I like, think it should only be like a narrative thing where Nate just periodically just yells that he's hungry and like increase <laughs> and you don't actually see the gauge. He just periodically just be like, I want to eat something. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. Damn it. And, and then maybe then... you can eat. Some no, I'm, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, to, to the housemark argument, suggestion, whatever I, it, again, it's, it's sort of knee-jerk is like, what are you talking about? But I could, I could totally see it. There's that sort of habit we have of looking at like what a studio has done and being incapable of imagining them sort of breaking that tradition. I, I mean, mean, there's a point where like, you know, Respawn's making a third-person Star Wars game. What? That's nuts. They only make first-person shooters. And then, you know, you look at, I don't know, like No Man's Sky. It's like they just make the, what is it, Joe Danger? Like they just, it just, mm -hmm. you know, it's like that's, it's easy to look, oh, they make this thing, therefore they can't make this thing, question mark. But you know, studios are, are flexible and it depends on who's working on the project and, you know, what, yeah, what like the idea what's, is. What's your favorite, you know, Craig Mazin show or movie before Chernobyl or The Last of Us, right? Like mm. people grow and change. I think that's what's awesome about it. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, I would love to see Housemark do like a 2.5D Uncharted. Okay. Like a sort of shadow complex kind of thing. Like I'd That'd love to be, see that. Be like really a, cool. a an uncharted Metroidvania that has like really good graphics would be such a cool thing to have. And I know that's mm -hmm. not what people would want. That's that sounds like what I feel like the Vita game could have been. You know, Golden Abyss was cool. It it, it was weird because it was like it it's a solid uncharted game, but it's it's also missing something. Like there's some kind of a secret sauce in there that it doesn't quite have. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sort of partially I think is it all one location? I can't remember. It's been so long, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I want to say yeah. it's all one location, which they kind of haven't done since the, the first Uncharted, but it doesn't have that same sort of sense of place. And obviously there's all the, the weird gimmicks where you have to like pick up a cup and rub dirt off of it and flip it around and, you know, use your touch screen to do that. But Gotta yeah, I mean, massage the cups. Yeah, it was impressive. Mm -hmm. I, again, it's it's been, what, <laughs> 12 years, 11 years since we played that. But um, yeah, I'd love to see Sucker Punch do something with Uncharted. I think Sucker Punch or Bend. I think Uncharted really, it doesn't have to be open world, but it was going that direction anyway. Like, I think having these right. large sort of open areas is really fun. Um, like, just sort of turning you loose. And there's there's actually an element of exploration, which, you know, when you're a treasure hunter who's going to sort of unexplored places, it's sort of weird when they're on, when they're when they're linear. Like, when there's not yeah. actually a, 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 a player exploration. And I think some of the, you know, stuff in the, you know, earlier games was... Um, you know, they're story first. They're like, they're adventures. But like, again, you're like, if you're capable of having, you know, wide open explorable areas, then why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do that? And uh, mm -hmm. Matt Kim did a sort of write up about this and, and mentioned how in Lost Legacy, like there is that big, huge open, you know, stretch to explore. You know, there's mm -hmm. one in, in Uncharted 4 as well. And it sort of feels like, almost just like a, like a cruel tease to be like, here's this really cool direction this series could go. Anyway, this series is no longer being made by Naughty Dog. So <laughs> what and next? I understand. I totally can get that because they've made what? What do we? What six games now? Yeah. One, yeah, they've made six games. Well, one Golden Abyss was Bend, but there's been six Uncharted games. It's it's very easy to for a studio to get 
burnt out if you're forced to work on this specific game over and over again. This is something we saw in past generations of games where studios were like, no, we don't want to make this game. Well, too bad. You've got to make this game because that's your that's your money-making game. And those those sequels turned out pretty poorly. And, and mm -hmm. fans were like, what happened to this game? It's like, well, the passion wasn't as strong for this sequel as it was for what they really wanted to do. So yeah. I, for one, am happy that Naughty Dog is like, hey, we don't, we're not tied to that. We can do what we want to do now, which is great. And I think that's yeah. only going to lead to better games from Naughty Dog. Mm -hmm. And they, they left the series in such a good spot with Cassie Drake being like, okay, I'm the daughter of Nathan Drake. Am I going to pick up my father's mantle? Who knows? I mean, I don't know if I can just yet picture her running around the Sahara with a machine gun. Um, maybe we'll get there. They'll have to do some convincing on that front. But mm -hmm. like, I, I think that, you know, they left it in a really good spot. But also, like Max said, like this franchise could be anything. And so mm -hmm. I'm I'm wide open to them, to somebody picking this up someday and running it with it uh, from there. Now, you mentioned you mentioned Cassie. Um, there's a, I don't know what you call it. Again, like Sony should be putting PSVR 2 stuff on blast right now. We got this kind of very, very cool live action PS5 trailer right now. It's, I think it's called like Live from PS5. And it's sort of this fake like news report type of thing where it's got like Spider-Man swinging around and you've got, you know, like a dude who's on location and there's a little, one of those little widgets from Destiny flying around him. And there's like, oh, somebody's been turned into a bush like in Ratchet and Clank. It's all these, mm -hmm. you know, Sony first party things. You've got like, you know, uh, Kratos' um, Leviathan axes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, look, boy, father and child decide to save world from Ragnarok or whatever. It's, and it's really funny. And there's a bunch of little Easter eggs in there. One of them kind of jumped out and we could be completely uh, either over or under thinking this, but there's a shot of a girl carrying a torch in a cave that doesn't look super familiar, you know, and it's uh, trying to figure out who that is. It, it seems kind of in the uncharted over like it's that, yeah. it's that mm -hmm. kind of vibe. Again, it's sort of, you see like a, if you see the the Uncharted setup and there's a there's a woman there, you're like, oh, that's the, that's a, that's Tomb Raider setup, but you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if this is like a little subtle tease or if it's just like we're reading into it too much. But yeah, I there, mean, the, right there. Oh, mm -hmm. We zoomed yeah. right past it. So almost everything else in this in this uh, commercial basically uh, is a real life kind of recap of something you can do on PS5 or play on PS5 except for this. And like Sony in the past has have done these things and they've put cool stuff in there that's just like this is, you know, uh an adventurer. And you're like, "Well, okay, that are you making a game about that or is it just like does it just look cool and it's just showing consumers that like, you know, there's a wide variety of experiences you can you can have on the PlayStation 5." But this one felt a little like okay, yeah, that that seems like Nathan Drake's kid is sneaking around a cave with a torch taking stuff. And so that was exciting because I'm like they're making this, right? Someone's going to do something with this. Like, it would make perfect sense for them to do this. Like, Tomb Raider is kind of between studios right now. You know, mm -hmm. like the uh, who 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 bought the Eraser Group em or whatever. Embracer, yeah. <laughs> they own yeah. everything, and then yep. we've got the Indiana Jones game cooking from Bethesda. But like, that's just been like a teaser for for a second so far. And so, like, I don't know. This this would be a good time to get something like that in there. Um, and there's a couple studios that under Sony that we haven't seen anything from in a couple of years like bend and so it, it would be awesome to find out hey we're making a new uncharted game this is what it's like and that was a, a little clue we left for you all yeah now the big question is you know if we don't have nathan drake or do we do we want nathan drake or do we want to stay in that kind of immediate orbit or do we want new protagonists entirely i love the idea of it being sort of 
just very very loosely connected yeah i don't know i don't know Set you in do the same world yeah. but like you know that just tangentially kind of like young sully or something that they mention or like you know you see a newspaper cut out or a news story about something that's happening I, yeah i think there's a key thing when you do sort of prequels and spinoffs and stuff like that and the, the thing i always point to is also something that i can i can yell at sony about was they announced that they were doing a star um a spider-man tv show prequel that was about aunt may as as a young person and it's like so far removed from like the <laughs> mm -hmm. key thing that people care about is peter parker getting bitten by a spider and everything that comes off of that the big web of stuff you know obviously there's a whole spider verse out there but none of that exists when aunt may is in college so i don't know what you're doing there like what is the what is the appeal then again of course we got like three seasons out of pennyworth which was the amazing adventures of batman's butler again probably had a more exciting youth that you know young mm -hmm. younger years than aunt may did um but my point is, you know, Uncharted, the story is not specific characters. It is the adventures that they go on. Yes. Like there's nothing, you know, Nathan Drake is charismatic and wonderful and a good time. And, you know, the people he hangs out with are all colorful characters, too. There's nothing stopping whatever studio is working on this from creating new interesting characters as long as there's that sort of that that same adventure, that same sense of exploration and, you mm -hmm. know getting out in the world and doing, you know, cool, cool set pieces, murdering hundreds of people, maybe getting an achievement for it, uh, probably getting chased by some kind of a truck. Uh, and then, you know, all you need is when you fall off a cliff, you got to play that silly flute. The Vavuzula has to come on and <laughs> someone has to go, no, that's all we that's need it. from an Uncharted. That's what makes an Uncharted game. Yep. Yeah. The, the, maybe oh, a sibling shit, oh, shows shit, up, oh, shit, oh, shit. you know, yeah. <laughs> a sibling shows up four four games in, just be like, hey, remember me? They just wrote me in. I mean, so like the, the lowest bar you could do here is, you know, Nathan Drake sneaks off in the night to go on a mystical adventure and he gets in a heap of trouble and Cassie has to go out and save him. Yada, yada, yada. That's like, you know, that's one way to do it. But I like the idea of Cassie just kind of doing her own thing or a new protagonist entirely. And I've said this like for years talking about Uncharted. The one thing I really, really want from this franchise is weapons that uh, stay with you. Like I mm. want, I want stuff that like can you can kind of like uh, upgrade organically that you can that you can pick up that you can go to workbenches and stuff like that. That there's like a semblance of ownership between you and the apparatuses that you use to get around the game and survive. Um, Tomb Raider's done really well, right? Like you go yep. hunt, you hunt a deer and you take the deer's leg and you put it on your gun. And your gun gets stronger. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, but it works. <laughs> you know. But Uncharted, it's just like all right. Oh, I just killed a good barrel. Yeah, right. I killed 60 goons behind a mountain and I, I picked up all their guns and I shot them until they ran out of bullets and I threw them down. Like Nathan Drake never takes a gun with him with zero bullets and then finds bullets and then puts the bullets in and carries it to the next level. Like your arrow is just like tossing crap aside and then getting new crap. And I want I want to hold on to my crap for the whole game and make it better and stronger using the deer legs. Sure. That yeah. sounds good. Cool. That, that's great. I like it. You know, that's a good, <laughs> good idea. <laughs> no notes. Yeah, no, that's it. I don't know. I, I, you know, I think that's a, there, there is that sort of, you know, Uncharted is a big, huge, wide thing. It casts a wide net. You could go wherever with it, but you know, there is that sort of key thing where it's like, what, what, if you change too much, it's no, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make any sense. So you want, you want, um, you want single upgradable weapons. Jade, is there anything that you want, you'd want to see in Uncharted? Um, I want to see, I would like there, if we're going to do like kind of, if it does end up being like an open world type thing, I want there to be like a home hub where you can display the treasures that you have looted from across the world. That's cool. And stuff like that. Ooh. Just something that like a little cool trophy case and things like that. 
And then, you know, you can have a, a weapon rack where you can have your deer-laced um, ARs um, so like a, for you. Like a little, off. like, kind of man cave museum or like the yeah. what Super Mario has. Super Mario ship in Super Mario Odyssey where he just has all this, like... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, give me... I like give me, that. Yeah, give me, give me a, flying, a flying base for... Belongs in a museum, my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, like the, I like the vehicle stuff in Uncharted 4. Yeah, like I like. I know some people weren't wild about the, the sort of truck the and winch. the wi the winch. I don't no know. Winch. I think, I, I think it's okay. I think it's it, it, there's something toyetic about it that I, I think of fondly. Mm -hmm. You ever play that game Snowrunner? Yeah, yeah. Where you have to you drive. It's basically just that the game, but there's no adventures. You're just driving yeah, a truck you're around. Just trying to get from point A to point B. You're like, B. buddy, you got yourself in some thick mud there. You're gonna have to get yourself the winch, and you pull yourself out of the mud. And it's like you broke four axles, and they're like, this, this car only has two axles. What did I do? It's like, there was an axle in the back, and it fell out. And you broke it. You lose the yeah. game. I was, I'm no snowrunner. I quit. <laughs> So the Uncharted winch, I feel like it was a big year for winches at the time, and I was just kind of over by the time Uncharted 4 came around. I was like, I don't want to do the winch stuff. With the what other games had winches? I mean, our, our, the Arkham game had a lot of winches. You had to go okay, okay, okay. Down that's, that's, totally, that's totally fair. That's a yes. good. That's not a winch though. It's a it's a grapnel for the car. It was kind of a winch. It's a grap grapnelmobile. <laughs> Sorry, check, sorry. Check out IGN's top ten winches in games. You can for you more. can watch you can watch this uh, this podcast just go off a cliff where I just had a very audible brain fart and then just like, what do you think? Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I just want to point out that I have the worst coffee mug I've ever seen. It I is, mean, uh, it's the best. It's the best mug if you're drinking milk. It's yeah, I'm not drinking milk. I'm drinking coffee. It is a coffee mug that is cow pattern, and on the bottom it has an udder, and then on the bottom of the udders there are rubberized non-slip teats. teats. So yeah. yeah, sorry. It's also important to point out that like the IGN San Francisco office, uh, like the mugs there are are a lot of like it's found objects basically. It just feels like somebody went to like a a Goodwill and just grabbed a bunch of stuff. Like it's no one just ordered a set of those. There's just one of those mugs there now. I mean, which means someone brought it from home to get rid of it and curse the place, or it just there, showed up. There's a reason why in Horizon, the Horizon series, you go around collecting things and some of them are just random mugs yeah <laughs> it's just and that's that's why because that's what we just have here in san francisco is a bunch of random mugs mm -hmm. that we're setting up for aloy to pick up in thousands this, of years i don't think she would pick that yeah. i think that whoever if there's the end of the world they would just smash this mug i might even smash this after the show it's terrible anyway <laughs> You know what? Red's what playing is some of these clips of man with mugs. Oh my oh, goodness! Okay. Oh, this, yes. Okay. Smash the mugs. Okay. There we we're go. getting really. We're getting yes. a little bit off topic um, here. Okay. Let's see. I, think I got the trophy for getting all the mugs in Horizon, and that was definitely. I had one of those. Like, what are you doing with your life? Well, this concludes our discussion about mugs. <laughs> I think like uh, some some people will get really. Ang they'll write us like angry letters about having a so weird derailed conversation about yeah. mugs, and some people will be like, "More mug talk. Do a whole mug hour long so, special." I will get us into the next section. Thank because you. the uh, the weirdest mug that I currently have what? is <laughs> gotta let me finish the point is oh okay. and now I'm hitting mics where it's a mess today my weirdest mug that I have is a Last of Us mug and that may sound not sound very weird but it's got like a chip in it it's like cracked like like a V's cracked out of it and I've I've just kept it because I like the Last of Us so is that, much is that part is that like part of the motif to make it look like old and yeah that is, so that's the only reason why I've kept it is because it's like it's this kind of fits in theme with the world. Okay. So that's my weirdest mug that I've got. All um, right. If you guys have weird mugs, 
Drop them in the comments. Yeah. Let us know what your weirdest my weirdest mug is. My face, is. this thing right here. Yeah, your mug oh, yeah. shot. That's a good mug right there. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, we should talk about Last of Us uh, episode three. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness, Nicholas Cage mug. Don't get this off the B-roll. If you're right? listening, if you're only listening to audio, consider yourself lucky. Yes. Fred's just going wild. Where everyone's getting silly. <laughs> everyone's getting wild here. Uh, let's talk about the Last of Us part three. Uh, Neil Druckmann's gone on record a couple times. People at Naughty Dog have been like, Yeah, you know, we could, we could, we could make it. I don't know if we want to make it. You know, we got to kind of have a good reason to make it. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think we all want trilogies. Like we want that, like that feeling, that yeah. sort of that balance, that trifecta. But at the same time, there's such like a beautiful sort of, you know, the duality of, of part one and part two. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. What do we, what do we want from last of us while we're making arbitrary demands of a studio yes. that doesn't hey. want to make either of these projects? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think it's just important. I think, you know, the big thing that, has been in all the Last of Us games, so the two Last of Us games in the DLC, is they have this very specific stories that they like to tell, these stories of love, this, you know, um, this father found, you know, refinding family and the father-daughter relationship between Joel and Ellie in the first one, and then, you know, Ellie kind of, you know, discovering who she is and figuring out everything in part two and, you know, learning to love herself enough and the life that she has to, like, kind of give up on what she doesn't need to do and things like that. Right. Um, and so it, I think it's just important if they are going to tell another story in a part three, that they need to find this correct story to tell um, and yeah. not just make a sequel to make a sequel. Cause the point I made earlier is when we get those games, those are generally the worst sequels that we get. So um, I mean, I guess honestly, if I'm gonna get anything out of the Last of Us Part Three, give me just give me new characters, give me a new story. Let me see it, the the world through somebody else's perspective. You know, you can even have events where people are crossing through the same areas that Joel and Ellie went. If you want to set it in that same time period, um, that just kind of sees some of the the carnage that happened um, there, um, mm-hmm. and that kind of affects it that way. So it's so it stays in universe, it stays canon. It's but it's just a different perspective on it. Give me something like that, I guess. If we're going to yeah. get a Lost of Us Part Three, I think that would be fun. Yeah, I, you know, I want to be. I'm. Uh, we will be hypersensitive about spoilers. I don't want to because I, I know like there's a lot of people watching who haven't who haven't completed one or both games. Um, and you're probably, you know, maybe you're hooked on the HBO show right now, and that's your first exposure to this world. It is an interesting dilemma because now, um, and this is unlike pretty much any video game scenario we've ever seen before. The th- the theoretical part three of the last of us game has to also set as like, you know, the, the backbone for a TV adaptation that mm. is, is almost certainly going to happen down the line. And so like that, that does put it in a, in a, in a strange new world for, for games as a medium. It's exciting though, because it's like everything we've seen so far um, has been great for the show. And I have no doubt they can adapt that. I was actually texting Max about this this morning, about how like the last of us part one as a game is thematically about, protecting the ones you love. And to me, part two is mostly about destroying the ones you hate. It is part, part one is about Joel learning to love again and learning to become a father figure again. And part two is, is a tale of revenge and vengeance and hatred and how it consumes you and destroys yourself and everyone around you. And so, like you said, Jada, they need that kind of log line for three, right? They need that one sentence jump off that goes like, what is the big theme here? Because if they've covered love and they've covered hate, then what does part three, what does part three do? Is there a redemption story there that happens? Like, is there passing the torch? Like, I like your idea of, you know, bringing in new characters, but also like 
maybe giving Ellie a, 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 a different send off than she got in two. And so I think that there's like, there is a lot to be excited about there. There's a lot to work with there. And between that, I think that the multiplayer stuff that they're working on is going to be a, a nice little like kind of testing ground for smaller stories. Yep. I think they can use that to, to kind of be like, Hey, we're, we're dropping a narrative in here that doesn't necessarily fit in the Joel, Ellie, Abby, Dina scenario, but more into like, here's what a corner of the world looks like. And the show gets into that a bit here and there, um, which I really like. And so I think that like that universe is, is totally right for that. Yeah. And like multiplayer games have done this very well. Um, currently apex legends has like a, a whole whole background story like mm -hmm. you know characters and like they talk there's they do a comic line every uh season um and they talk about various things they that happen in the like the maps that they're adding like big events and changes to the map and then there's also like a lot of background building and character building arcs that are in these comics where you discover things about the characters um and it's just them kind of existing and living in their lives in this and i think the i think you're right brian i think the multiplayer game is going to be a perfect uh vehicle to kind of drive that stuff and add it um into the world and kind of flesh out the world even wider yeah we've seen that sort of leaked stuff about what appears to be like fantasy something or other oh which yeah i'd love to see that you know i think that what made the last mm -hmm. of us so special is that it took tired zombie tropes and you know, really revitalized them and really just, just gave, you know, breathed new life in them, resurrected them, had them crawling from their graves as it will. But it was, you know, it it's, that's what made that special in the same way that, you know, you know, Uncharted took sort of the Indiana Jones adventure stuff and gamified it in a, in a way that wasn't just like a, you know, slap shot kind of cash in. It was like, this is, you know, really making, you know, taking this seriously narrative, but also mechanically and trying to make something that just is, you know, holistic and it's like we've we've gotten sort of action adventure, we've gotten survival horror, and it's like going a fantasy route would be super interesting because fantasy has been you know done to death and back. Like we've seen so many fantasy games, and like what is, I mean, I guess the 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 ones that come to mind is like you've got you know you've got The Witcher, mm -hmm. and then you've got like Hellblade on sort of the other end of the spectrum, which is a much smaller, more narrow story, but it's still you know it's dealing with like sort of you know almost fairy tale tropes, but giving right. it like a very serious presentation and. Who knows? Let's talk about the, the adaptations. We asked last week what adaptations people are looking forward to the most. Obviously, we're all pretty stoked on HBO's The Last of Us. Um, I feel like a real a real goofball being like, HBO is The Last of Us, instead of just like The Last of Us, the show. But I don't know. We've said enough times that it's burned into my mouth. Um, what, what are people most excited about? So on our poll, we had we put God of War, Fallout, Horizon, Death Stranding, and Gran Turismo. Uh, number one answer was God of War, 44.7% uh, mm. of the votes. So people are hyped to see some God-on-God -God action. Um, can't say that I blame them. Uh, following that up was the Fallout HBO series uh, with 26.2%. I think that's will hopefully be done as well as like we're getting like the last of us with this post-apocalyptic if they kind of do these and like me and you were just talking about brian about doing these other tales in the world i think it could do yeah. really well um 14.7 percent for the horizon netflix series um i'm not sure if people are just down because it's horizon or because it's netflix but uh we'll find out when that launches um and then we have death stranding uh the hideo kojima production which is a movie <laughs> Um, for 11.3%, and then Gran Turismo the movie at 3%, um, because <laughs> movies about cars, I, I don't know, they, they can do well, Fast and the Furious, but I feel like Fast and the Furious also stopped being about cars a long time ago, right. and it's just mm -hmm. kind of like 
going to space and yeah. jumping. It's also it's highways. worth pointing out that that's that's the one that's like the least of a mystery, right? Like we've seen footage of it already. Yep. We know, mm-hmm. like you know, but, it it it's like I'm deathly curious to find out what you know Kratos and Atreus look like in live action running around an Amazon Prime show. Like that's yep. whereas like Gran Turismo. My biggest head scratcher there was like, oh, uh, the guy that did Chappie mm-hmm. in District Nine's working on that. That's odd. I and would say Max we've... and I interviewed him, and he was like, "I like cars," and we're yeah. like, "Okay, well, that makes sense." That's that's definitely the most of a known quantity in terms of yeah. like what we've seen of it. But I think the Fallout mm-hmm. show is also like it's the Westworld showrunners, you know, and we've mm-hmm. seen like a teaser image, and it looks like they're you know pretty like um, what's his face? I'm tr- totally drawing a blank. The um, Bethesda man. Todd. Todd, there Todd we go. Howard. I was thinking Pete Pete Hines. No, yeah, Todd Howard is executive producing on it. Obviously, he's going to have you know his fingers in that, and um, you know that's that's cool. I'm I'm excited about that one. I think it's just going to be visually interesting. I mm-hmm. hope that it doesn't take itself too seriously because Fallout has this like wonderful tongue in cheek sense of humor, and I hope they maintain that and don't just go like too you know bleak apocalyptic because we've seen we've seen enough of I that. Mean- if they get Walton Goggins to be on that show and he doesn't get to use his comedy chops, then that is a huge waste of everybody's time. Mm-hmm. Because I that agree. dude is incredibly funny. Yeah, the one thing we left out that a lot of people called us out for with good reason mm-hmm. is Ghost of Tsushima, which is being uh, a movie. It's going to be handled by... Uh, uh, is Chad Stolhinsky? Yeah, Chad Stolhinsky, who is the, um, one of the John Wick creators yeah. and uh, Keanu Reeves' former stuntman, who also plays uh, ch- you know, Trinity's husband in the last matrix movie which is what's a funny funny bit because he's such a chad but yeah uh this one completely i'm i'm not not a known quantity it's going to be interesting to see what they do with it i'm, I'm sure it's going to have really phenomenal fight scenes but ghost of tsushima was so heavily inspired by existing cinema that that seems almost redundant to me but mm-hmm. i mean i kind of said the same thing about like the last of us and i was proven pretty wrong there you know it's it's you know we have children of men we have the road but it manages to, you know, stake its own claim and do something new and yeah. interesting. We enjoy making statements that eventually prove ourselves wrong because we want mm-hmm. to be proved wrong because <laughs> we know we we feel like we know a lot, but we like to be surprised. I like a good public flogging, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm no, the donkey. I, Pin my tail on me. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, this that, that, that's this actually does... a line taken from the Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong in the Mario movie. Um, so deleted scene. The deleted Ghost of Tsushima scene. thing, I, I think, has tremendous potential to be just like I agree. a completely kick-ass action movie. There's also like the least amount of stuff to screw up. Like I feel like that the day, like I said, like the day we find out what Kratos looks like on a TV show could could be make it or break it for that show. That could be like windmill dunk Olympics for the entire internet to be like, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Or they'll be like, that's incredibly cool. They nailed it. Holy crap. Um, but I feel like Ghost of Tsushima is like, it's mostly a guy running around big open fields, killing people with a sword and then some foxes. Like, I think they can nail that. That that you know, not to undermine how difficult it is to get a Kurosawa right in 2023, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like that's that's less like oh man you how do you guys didn't animate the two hundred thousand foot long snake people have made a lot more samurai movies than they have uh norse god giant snake movies yes Yes. you know there's there's a reason certain things have been done a lot on screen as opposed to in games and it's there's less i mean neil blomkamp has made some phenomenal movies that involve some really complex incredibly designed worlds and they haven't always succeeded super well. So I imagine that making a movie with existing cars is probably a considerably cheaper affair and, mm-hmm. you know, proving that he can play with someone else's toys. Well, until they transform. Yeah. 
into also, chat. Like, there's no, there's no like real <laughs> expectations there besides the cars look cool, right? Like the story is basically non-existent. There's also we just found out what two days ago the uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge uh, Tomb Raider oh, right, yeah. TV show. Mm -hmm. So that'll be at the very least like snarky, um, which I you know I guess that's fine. And if you're excited for Tomb Raider, you can go check out uh, her house power wash simulator yeah <laughs> and we've seen we've seen so many sort of iterations of tomb raider at this point that it's like that's another you know yeah. she's like a james bond at this point where there have been mm -hmm. so many different sort of portrayals and reimaginings that like i'm like yeah sure let me see what you got go nuts uh now last week was it we talked about forespoken a little bit forespoken has come out it's you know it got kind of so so reviews you really like it I love it yeah you love it i love that game it's I'm so good. i literally finished it yesterday um i i cried probably about two-thirds of two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through it in one of the cutscenes. it was just a very powerful moment um i'm not gonna spoil it but like it's just such a great moment of just kind of like she finally um, gets the bracelet off and she throws like, it away. Yeah, throws it away into the again. ocean and, you know, she throws her arms out and she says she's the king <laughs> she's of the a, world. Just a weird tan line from yeah, it. Yeah, it's no. very strange. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, no, it's just like there's just the whole this whole moment about just kind of self-reflection and kind of like like actually learning about you and like something it's it does a little bit about her, like her family life and like how she was an orphan which isn't a spoiler because that's literally something you learn in the first five minutes playing the game so if you don't know she's an orphan well now you do um but yeah it's just great i think it's i think it's solid like i know a lot of people were kind of um knocking it down for some of it being repetitive but i found like some of the the challenges around the world start as i started exploring i did like 90 percent of all these side objectives because 10 percent of them you can't do till you finish the game um and some of them just got started to be a lot of fun there's a lot of ones that were like racing and there's like you get this like whip ability where you can like whip around a pole and it's like this obstacle course and you have to get from point a to point b which doesn't sound like a new idea but you also have to stop and kill people so it's like I have to kill people fast and then I have to get back on the track and keep going and then kill the next people okay. the next thing. And so like there's a lot of different things that they start mixing up and I thought it was I thought it was great. Um, I'm I'm really glad. I didn't I don't want to cut you off, but I no, I yeah. do want to sort of compare this with something else. Like yes. Forspoken was announced as Project Athea alongside the PS5 yes. and it got delayed I think four times. Like we've been seeing little mm -hmm. tidbits and trailers and updates. Like it's definitely understandable that I think some of its release was hampered by I don't know, like hype fatigue. Like it got yeah. kind of stretched out there. Meanwhile, uh, last week out of the blue during the sort of developer direct, uh, Microsoft was like, hey, uh, Shinji Mikami's studio, Tango Gameworks has a brand new game. It's called Hi-Fi Rush. It's super colorful, cartoony. It's a rhythm-based beat em up. It's out now. Check it out. It's on Game Pass. It's on PC. Go nuts. And apparently it is, despite being on Game Pass and you know people just checking it out and having no marketing whatsoever, it is outselling Forspoken on PC, which is kind of... Um, I mean, that sucks for Forspoken. Yeah. Because again, I don't want to like sort of just be like, let's make these games fight each other. They're nothing alike. Like, yeah. make them fight. But like, it is really interesting to see that that comparison of like, one has pretty long tail of people knowing what it is. And, you know, again, it's this big, huge AAA presentation and it's, you know, this big sprawling open world. And this is like a colorful cartoony beat-em-up that just was like surprise launched out of the blue yeah and yeah i, I don't know i like i played a little bit of hi-fi rush i finished the first chapter um and it it definitely gives me those saturday morning cartoon vibes that mm -hmm. you know we all grew up on um and loving and like it definitely it's got that kind of zany kind of story the action is fun um it's got rhythm-based combat which some people kind of roll their eyes at but they did a really good job with kind of uh nailing that to where even if you're not on beat you're still doing the same amount of damage you're not penalized for not being on beat but you're also not rewarded um i think the biggest thing 
for me with this is some of the dialogue is eh, it's fine it but it's also kind of it kind of mirrors some of the stuff that we got in those teasers and trailers for for spoken that people were hating on but i don't see none of the hate for hi-fi rush for some reason mm -hmm. um but uh you know it's it's corny it's but it's a lot of fun the music is great you know it's got some nine inch nails in there um i forget what that was a surprising needle drop <laughs> yeah by the way i was not expecting that no i i i totally get what you're saying i think that um there's like a there's a lot to unpack there in terms of like there is i think a tipping point with uh kind of exposure fatigue when it comes to mm -hmm. seeing a video game X amount of times to the point where it just becomes like a thing where you're like, all right, I'm over it versus that strike while the iron's hot or the iron didn't, you didn't know the iron existed five minutes ago, which is what happened with uh, Hi-Fi Rush. And so I think like Forspoken kind of reached that death loop territory of like, yep. okay, just put the game out already. Um, but yeah, there, I, I was a little surprised because, like, I the second we saw Hi-Fi Rush, I think the character was like, "So you're probably wondering how I got here," and I was like, "Oh man, we were all dunking on Forspoken for that exact level of dialogue a couple weeks ago." But also, context is everything, right? Like, this, 100%. Is, this is more of a you know Saturday morning cartoon. It's fully self-aware. It's comedic. It's 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 got like the kind of animation chops of something like Spider Verse. It's fully like, all right, we're goofy and we're slapstick. But I also never really, and I haven't, I've just this is just from through consuming marketing i haven't really seen forspoken as like this gritty serious thing to me either that was a, like the second you were like like a you know a girl from new york city goes to a wizard land to fight monsters i was like okay well that's that's a little you know self-aware it's a little tongue-in-cheek too so yeah it was interesting watching the disparity between these very different but somewhat similar uh properties kind of hit around the same time yeah i think there's something to be said for sort of how it's not it's not uncanny valley but it's sort of how people respond is how something is presented and yes, i think of sort of some weird examples of that is like i remember prior to like borderlands was originally going to have like a drab semi-realistic aesthetic supposedly mm -hmm. and then yep. i think either fallout came out or they just were like let's try it cell shaded and like that's become like its own you know completely identifiable yep. you know, aesthetic uh one that i always sort of go to is like People hate Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They're like, this is stupid. This is over the top. And me and like maybe four or five people that I know love the adventures of Tintin, which Spielberg also did. And it's got the same level of over the top set pieces. But nobody nobody dunks on that one for being like too out there and over the top because it's a cartoon. Yeah. Whereas right. like, and it's again, it's all, it's, you know, it's all, some's got performance capture with CG animation and some has real people with CG animation. It's, it's all this sort of, you're playing with the same bits and pieces and it's just sort of what does the final product look like and how, do, how are people going to compare it? And, you know, you have something that's really pushing for photorealism like Forspoken and it's got these like, you know, gorgeous, lavish costumes and it's got these incredible, mm -hmm. you know, these scenic vistas. And, and it's, the spell effects and the particles and everything yeah. are just way over the mm -hmm. top. Yeah. And like there's part of your brain that's like, I want to take this seriously. Like I want to mm -hmm. treat this like, you know, realism. And, you know, then you look at something that's totally, you know, cartoony and colorful and over the top and like... I think there's a world where, like, if if you know, Tango GameWorks had made a game that was like it's has the the color palette and the the shaders of something like Evil Within, like if that's like a bleak cyberpunk dystopia where you're still beating stuff up to a rhythm, I think people would be like, it's surprisingly funny. Or like the tone is, it's like really, it's kind of weirdly upbeat, and it's right. I don't know, people yeah. I guess aren't doing that with Forspoken, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a again, I, I think people they want they want things to be easily identifiable and quantif you know, mm -hmm. quantifiable. They want to be able to sort of be like, I know what this is. And when something sort of upsets that, I saw a thing going around that made my head hurt where people, it was like, 
It was like, someone please explain to TikTok what horror comedy is because people are like, the menu isn't scary. It's too funny. People are like, are people really scared of Megan? And it's like, no, they're, they're horror. It's also funny. It's like two things can yeah. be two things at once. And it's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, the sort of tone we're expecting from games is, you know, all over the place because sometimes you get Borderlands and sometimes you get The Last of Us. Like they can yep. go mm -hmm. different directions and you can't necessarily get a feel for what the what the vibe's gonna be by how they look. Yep. So uh Brian, yeah. you, you mentioned, you know, getting that like exposure kind of uh yeah. you know, um getting too much of it and just kind of hurting a game. I think the last game that did that for me, um and I don't know, maybe it's just something with my brain, but I enjoy it, was the the Guardians of the Galaxy game that dropped. Um mm -hmm. remember they did that trailer and it just went on for like twenty five minutes or something yeah. like that. I was like I don't need to see all this. I was sold with the first five-minute trailer, and now I've got 20 minutes of dialogue that you're forcing me to sit through because I was working the event. I, I was the exact opposite, where I was so immediately turned off by that game that I was like, oh, I don't care. And then I like, I think I did like a sponsored Let's Play, and I was like, what? What is this? This is really funny. This is good. This has wonderful writing. Why have, Why has no one brought this to my attention sooner? And it's yeah. like, it's I, it's, a, it's an art form, right? Yeah. Marketing is an art form. Like getting getting that right is really difficult. I I will regularly nope out of a trailer that I'm watching because I'm sold on it, and I'm like, I'm done. I don't, especially yeah. horror stuff. I'm like, don't show me anything else. I'll watch like 20, 30 seconds. I'll be like, tonally, I get it. I get the setup. Cool. I hit the X in the corner and I bail. Um, and I think that's tough. Like, I think that one of those things, one of the games that falls in between these two categories is uh, the new Dead Space game, which was mm. uh, kind of uncharacteristically transparent in terms of development for an EA game. Like, those guys yes. are always very buttoned up. But for this one, it was, you know, a game that we had played already. We knew it's a remake. And they were like, we're going to invite fans in. We're going to do live streams showing off, like, textures and sound effects. And people were like, too loud or too gross or not gross enough. And they were like, sorry, we'll fix it. And they reached this point, which was really interesting, where they worked with the community, they worked with hardcore fans to basically say like, our game is what we want it to be, but we also want to make sure we get so much of this right for the people who love this franchise and care about this so much. And that's such a stark difference from Forspoken, which was basically just like, we're going to keep hitting you in the head with this game until it's out, and Hi-Fi Rush, which was like, you don't know this exists, but you can play it right now. Like those are very, mm -hmm. very, very different marketing uh, decisions there. And there is really no right answer. I mean, I can tell you that if you're an unknown indie game and you don't have Xbox or PlayStation or Nintendo backing you up, then shadow dropping your game on like a Tuesday afternoon, probably not the smartest play, right? But yep. on the flip side, like I, I do wonder uh, if if this level of like talking to the audience uh, is is beneficial as well, right? I don't think every game should do this either. I think with Dead Space, it made sense because they were like, we know you love this game and we know there's a lot of stuff we have to get right, but we also want to add a bunch of new stuff that makes it new and our, make it, makes it our own. Um, but there is something to be said about that, which I thought was really fascinating of bringing, bringing uh, hardcore fans and the audience and, and uh, you know, in using uh, basically Dead Space influencers, some of which, you know, have been on the show, uh, shout out to Khalif, uh, and, and being like, you know, you love this franchise, you love this game, 
consult on this, like talk to us, what's working here, come in and play, play sections of it. Um, and I think that's super cool. And I don't think it works for every game, but I think it really worked for Dead Space. I think it's all about setting expectations. I think Dead Space mm -hmm. did the right job. They came out, they were, set, were very clear about what they were doing. They set expectations for the fans. They were very transparent about things that they were like, hey, these are the things we're going to take input on. These are the things we're not taking input on. And I think, you know, I think that level of transparency really helps in game development because it removes this argument that many people will make when, when it comes to games and the, they form their opinion off of one tiny detail that they saw in a trailer and because they saw it there it is absolutely fact and there's no it can't they it has to be in there at this point um i think they i think they did a really good job of just kind of like removing that that unknown factor from a game mm -hmm. um and i think you know i think that's something that can help with developers i know there's a lot of times that developers will see discourse that are coming out about their game and they literally cannot talk about it. They cannot come out right. and refute it. And it's the worst position in the world. And I, I feel for them because you're building something with your blood, sweat, and tears, your hard, your hard work day after day, and you're seeing people on the internet just kind of tear it to shreds for something that's not even accurate and you can't do anything about it. And it's one of the worst feelings in the world. So, um, you know, hopefully yeah. we avoid some of those situations, but... It's yeah. It's, it's a it's a razor thin wire to tiptoe on to make sure that you get that messaging out properly in a way that uh, gets people excited and doesn't over inundate them with stuff that um, they're disappointed in or uh, sets up expectations that are unrealistic. There's also like we talked about Last of Us Part Two before that that game's entire uh, narrative was defined by leaks and. Yep the the context of discovering what that game had to offer was was basically ripped away from the developers and the people writing the stories and was told to us through you know just material that was stolen off of like a thumb drive and so like it's it's tough it's really really tough and i'm immensely th sympathetic to it it's why you have directors being like hey i got kicked out of the the editing room and the version of the movie that you saw is not my my version of the film right like it happens all the time so I don't know. It's it's really interesting to see the push and pull of all of that, and it's kind of exciting that you know there isn't one right or wrong way to do it. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit. You're, you're talking about Dead Space. A lot of people are comparing it to Callisto Protocol for some weird reason. I can't imagine why they would do that. But you know, we've I think we've got a video up right now talking about how it's like it's uh, it, you know, Dead Space stomps Callisto Protocol. Brian, you've sunk you you, you came around on Callisto. And mm -hmm. you've been playing a bunch of Dead Space. I, I guess, can you talk about this? Can you sort of compare the two? Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's, so I'll put it this way. I think it's very easy to just naturally go Dead Space is the better game because I think it is. But I also think it's not <laughs> that simple, right? This is always so fun. Well, that wraps see. things up. Great talk, Brian. Yeah. Thanks We're so much. Time. That's it for today. Thank you, everybody. No, it is, it is certainly, uh, I think, the better game overall. But I do think that uh, Callisto does a lot of things better than Dead Space. For example, I think that uh, Callisto looks better. I think that just graphically, when I was playing Callisto Protocol, I was like, this has um, this has better lighting, this has better textures, this has better character models. Um, I think that uh, some of the kind of crowd control environmental kill stuff that happens later in, in the second half of Callisto is super interesting. When you're getting mobbed by a bunch of bad guys and you can start like force chucking them into you know wood chippers and chainsaw walls and stuff like that, it starts getting really really interesting and really fun. And I had I had a blast with that. I think that like Dead Space is kind of better at building a distinct setting 
And like, it's really important to note what's fascinating about this for those not in the know is that Dead Space was made by a team of people who left the studio to create their own version of Dead Space called Callisto Protocol, because at the time, Dead Space was dead at EA. And then sometime during development, which they got a ton of funding for, EA said, hey, we're remaking Dead Space. And so EA got to use the framework of a game that was already a classic and build upon it and put a fresh coat of paint on it and a bunch of other things. Whereas uh, the Callisto team had to basically say like, what, what made Dead Space so interesting? How do we make a spiritual successor? So it was sort of like with, you know, you know a, a way better version of uh, when KJ Inafune made Mighty Number no. 9. Mm. But imagine if at the exact same moment, Capcom's also like, hey, we made a remake for Mega Man 2. And so like, it's very odd. It, it felt very like, uh, you know, early 2010s Kickstarter where people were like, this, this franchise has been dead. The creator of the franchise has left the studio. He wants to make it. No one wants to make it. So he's going to, he's going to make it himself, except instead of crowdfunding this time around, you know, they got like 10 cent or something like that. What? And so I, I think that Callisto ended up in like a really interesting spot where they definitely rushed to the finish line to undercut EA and dead space. Um, but they ended up with a product that I think has a lot of its own merits on its own. The biggest issues with Callisto uh, are that the pacing's a little whack. There's a lot of like crawling through uh, cracks and tunnels, which you've heard me vent about before. But also it just, it kind of shipped in a shoddy state on day one on PC especially. It was just like mm -hmm. a mess. And that that undermined a lot of what that game wanted to do. Um, whereas Dead Space had, it had, a, you know, I'm playing on PS5. I don't know if you experienced this, but there was a, a bug on day one that made the game look like Borderlands. That a lot of people were still dealing with there was like some vrr sync issues and all that fun stuff um and so like it's it it ended up in a better shape not perfect but still uh i think it's it's ultimately the better game but if you like these kind of games i think it's totally worth playing both like if you're a big horror game that the the idea that there's two big triple a story driven horror games that you can play on your next gen consoles right now is really damn cool like and i think that's awesome so Maybe wait for the price drop on Callisto. Maybe check out Dead Space now. But there is room in the world, and there's room in my heart for both of them. No, it's. I mean, Callisto had a really hard situation because the entire reason it existed was the promise of a Dead Space spiritual successor, which means that yeah. people expected it to do certain things that Dead Space did. But you know what made Dead Space unique and interesting is that it wasn't doing something that something else had already done. And it's, you know, it's that sort of double-edged sword. Like, you know, you look at something, again, Mighty Number no. 9 is sort of, if if something is, again, it's like the uncanny valley. If it's something that's too close to something, but it's not quite there, you're like, this is, it's it's worse than being different. It's almost the same. And I don't know, you look at um, Shinji Mikami with uh, the Evil Within, which, mm -hmm. you know, people, people kind of came around those games. I think the second one was, people really dug that, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, it, it was chasing that high of the classic Resident Evil, which, you know, they, they had their, they had a, <laughs> they had their shot lined up for them because Capcom was not making good RE games at that point. Yep. And it was like, okay, just do, just do RE4 again. Ah, not quite, you know, like still just chasing that high. And, you know, in the case of the Dead Space remake, it's, you you can have fans come in and give feedback on what works and what doesn't because it's sort of a known quantity, which again is completely flies in the face of uh, I don't know a fear of the unknown in the great unknown. Yeah. Deep, it's like c c totally antithetical to like being in a foreign alien, very concept of alien surprise. I don't know. It, it doesn't it, it doesn't make any sense, but. You know, it would be really interesting to see, and it would it would never exist, what Callisto would look like if it was developed completely from the ground up in a vacuum. Like, what, 
Mm. What was this like? What was the kernel of the idea that this would have been? It wasn't trying to piggyback on Dead Space popularity because I, mm -hmm. I can't help but feel like there's there's elements of this that you know it's it's still trying to be like hey remember Dead Space right but then there's also ways it's sort of differing you know like it's yeah. what is it it's, it leans more heavily on melee yeah. uh, you know and it's it, you know the aesthetics are very similar but you've also you know you're not wearing you know like like power armor or whatever you're you're like I guess you are at some point are you I don't know um, I, yeah it's it's not like you're you know a mining costume you're like a in a derelict prison ship and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. No, I think you're totally right. Like this is, you know, they they built the studio around Callisto. So theoretically, unless they all just pack it up and go home, we're going to get more of these games. And I would like to see them go, this is what defines this franchise. Now that we have Dead Space cooking at the same time and EA is almost for sure going to be like, what's next? Dead Space 2, Dead Space 3? Do we make yep. an, a new sequel or a, a rebookal or whatever? <laughs> like, what do you want to do with this? Whereas, like, I think Callisto, like, this is the exciting part now. Like, they got their cover album out. Now what? Now what does the band want to play? You know? I hope we get more. I mean, initially it was like, this is going to be set in the PUBG universe. And looking at it now, it's like, how was that ever going to be the case? <laughs> You're going to get like a frying pan? Like what? It stars a bald guy. That's the only connection I could find. When you die Good. in PUBG, they send you to the prison. Good enough. It's, the, it's a really, really <laughs> rough gulag out I, there. Jade, I love that. Actually, because there's like, there's a lot of parts early in Callisto where you're walking through the prison and there's just like a bunch of people locked up and they're turning into mutants and they're screaming to let me out. Well, what and if like one of them was like the they... Jared Leto Joker? <laughs> <laughs> you could even go the opposite way and like literally the prisoners can choose to go into fight in PUBG to like to vacate their sentence or whatnot instead of being in there. And those are the ones mm -hmm. the ones that made chose to go and fight in PUBG are the ones who didn't mutate into aliens. So arguably they're living a better life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess whoever Whoever uh, loses, we win or something like, you know, Dead Space and Callisto are both out there. We're getting yep. a new Resident Evil very soon. I love that we're getting we're getting like new new Resident Evil and we're getting like the Resident Evil that we, the, the same as it was before. But now it's better. It's like that's that's a good situation. It's a good time to be like it, a survival horror yes, fan. It is a lot of other things you could be a fan of where it sucks to be you right now. But, you know, it's it's good for people who like survival horror. So, you know, good on that front. Uh, now we've got a tiny bit of time left uh, real quick before we wrap it up. I wanted to have a conversation about The Last of Us Episode 3. There have been a, quite a few of those. I actually uh, did like a fairly lengthy video kind of talking about how it's a good adaptation. Uh, and then there's a written article that has a bunch of quotes because I, I got to talk to um, Neil Druckmann and Craig Mazin about it. Uh, is there anything you guys want to plug? Yeah, I mean, uh, I held a Twitter space yesterday where we discussed Episode 3. I brought in a lot of our entertainment um, folks to talk about that. Uh, Joshua Yale, uh, Amelia Emberwing, uh, Alex Stedman, um, and a couple other people on social, Colin and Tyler, um, where we just had a, like an hour-long discussion breaking down Episode 3 and everything that we loved about it. So that's uh, the recording is up on Twitter. But yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I loved Episode 3. I think it was such a great episode. If uh, Nick Offerman does not win all the awards for his performance, um, I, I just I, I don't know what the world is coming to. Hopefully the, the hopefully the last of us uh, mm -hmm. if, if he doesn't get the awards. <laughs> right. Well, on that note, we got to wrap things up. Uh, thank you both for joining me. This has been a blast. Thank you everyone for listening and watching. We will see you next week. Hopefully we have some more good, exciting news. But if not, we can talk about coffee mugs some more. We'll see you then. Mm -hmm. Beyond. Beyond. Beyond.